Good morning. Trust you counted a privilege to be able to be here this morning. I, uh, wherever we are, gathered together with the intent to worship our Maker, there is the potential for blessing for us as we lift ourselves up in that setting. As was mentioned this morning, we do anticipate receiving your counsel this morning, and uh, we did cut Sunday school a little bit short. I uh, hopefully will try to be brief, briefer in uh, the message this morning to give ample time for you all to share freely and, and receiving your counsel. <clears throat> it's good to have each of you here this morning. So. As, as you may recall, just a reminder if a couple people aren't here, but if there are others, anyone that's not here, feel free to ask for cards. I have a number of extra cards available that you all can take along for family members or others you know that you'll be getting in touch with. If not, the ministry, I'm sure, will make it happen one way or the other, get, the, get them out to those in need. So our thoughts this morning do reflect somewhat along the lines of <clears throat> the admonition there that we find in 1 Corinthians 11 where Paul is writing and regarding the, the uh, observing Holy Communion. But he uses the term, but let a man examine himself. And, um, you know, that sounds like an a auto-operation, doesn't it, sort of? self-analysis. Uh, I think we take it seriously with, with the right understanding as well. And yet sometimes, um, I'd like to share a couple of illustrations here in the opening. Sometimes we learn things about ourselves by those around us. Have you ever had that experience? Sometimes you feel like you Maybe it was a pat on the back, and sometimes it wasn't quite that. <laughs> Maybe it felt like quite the opposite. And yet we learn something. We learn something about who I am, who we are, where I am, what more needs to be formed in me in the image of Christ, etc. A number of weeks back, I was in a waiting room where one of Brother Raymond's grandsons works. And uh, there was just several people there in the waiting room, and they were all had their phones out, and their phones were like up here. And it was all quiet. And I thought, what is this world coming to, you know? And finally, I couldn't restrain myself any longer. I said, uh, I enjoy talking to people, and I said, if I had to guess, half of you here this morning aren't from around here. And so, conversation began. We began to talk about a couple of things, and I was, I was right. And um, I could take a longer time, but I'm going to abbreviate the story. 
Before long, another young fella came in. Um, appeared to be from Hispanic background and um, spoke rather well in English. And he had been into the counter and came back out and sat down and asked him where he was from. And he told me he just grew up there by the fairground entrance in that old tumbleweed motel. Some of you all know where we... Years through the years, many immigrants had settled there. And he explained a little bit about himself. <clears throat> and, uh, and then the next thing he did really caught me off guard. He said, I'd really like to know what you think of the younger generation. And he was in his early 20s. And I thought, what in the world? <laughs> Unusual. And there I was sitting in the midst of maybe a grandma and, and uh, him and another person that I couldn't tell if they thought they were he or she or which they were trying to be. And so how do you answer in a redemptive way a question like that? And I gave a, a just a brief general answer. But that's not the important part of the story. The important part of the story was he went on to say, he said he was in a class and he's graduating as an engineer from JMU. His last, finishing up his last year. And he said he had been in a class where they were teaching us about all the different generations. The Gen Xers, the Gen Yers, the Gen Zers. And he said, they were telling us what we're supposed to be like. And he says, I hope I'm not that way. <laughs> as we examine ourselves, as we... Per ponder our position before the Almighty God. <clears throat> How do we discern who we are? What makes us tick? How God sees us and so forth. Then there's the other side of the coin. I don't know if you all get these newsletters from Christian Light or not. I assume you do. It's, it's a promotional thing. It talks about some of the books they're coming out with. It's a story here, uh, an excerpt actually from one of the books as I understand it, but it's an account given that um, Merle Burkholder, some of you may know, tells of something that happened to him. And he was working at his work, doing a job of, I'm not sure, accounting and banking for a, a business. And he, one winter day, he was walking to the bank there and came to a busy intersection there. It was a four-way stop, but it was on a Friday afternoon. It was busy, and the weather was bad, and the roads were slick. The roads were icy. And um, there was a man across the other side of the street that began to come across toward him. They both entered the street together, and he took note of this individual because he was 
a man significantly intoxicated. And he wondered how this man was going to get across the street with the conditions the way they were in his staggering state of drunkenness. And so he had his eyes on, on this man as they neared each other. They crossed each other's path, avoided collision. And just as soon as he got by the man, his feet went out from under him. <laughs> he fell on his back. The things he was carrying went flying. Some of it landed on the cars by at the intersection. And he was totally consumed with watching this other man, not realizing the potential danger he was in, of which he later came to realize. <laughs> and so, as we think of how we assess, how we give account, how we give counsel from our own perspective and, and condition, we can relate, as it were, to the account in Luke 18 where the Pharisee and the tax collector, the comparison of how they approach things there, may God help us to see our, our own circumstances we ought, as he knows us, and to profit thereby in allowing him to enter in and come alongside as we surrender in an ongoing way to him. So a part of what it's about, of being a part of the brotherhood of believers, I'd like to invite you to Hebrews chapter 12. Just briefly here, the first two verses, I'd like to think with you a little further in the message this morning along the simple theme of looking unto Him. And you can say, well, we're not looking at the drunk crossing the street, we're not looking at each other, we're not looking... Where do we find out? How we stand before Him really comes through looking unto Him. Chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. We could continue on there, but we won't take the time this morning. He says, consider Him. Consider Him. You know, one of the things that we, we wouldn't need to tell each other necessarily, but it's good to remind us ourselves and each other the fact that we have a need of a Savior. And in the, if you go to John, the Gospel of John chapter 3 and the account there with Nicodemus, he was in a search. He was... In the hunt for answers to life's questions, if you care to turn there, we can look at that just briefly. But I found it interesting there in what Jesus reminded him of. When he brought into perspective what it was what was to need to happen in his life, 
the being born of the Spirit, not in the flesh. Dying to flesh, being born of the Spirit. But he goes into verse 13 and he says, um, he refers to the Son of Man. And then he says in verse 14, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. What all was the background there? I invite you to Numbers 21 for a brief um, review of something that here that Jesus referred to. Numbers chapter 21 and verse 4, we have the account of the fiery serpents here. I want to read verse 4 through verse 9. They journeyed from the Mount Hor, Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom, and the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. And the people spake against God and against Moses, Wherefore have ye brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this like bread. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent to set it upon a pole. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten when he looketh upon it shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man when he, had, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. I find it interesting that as Jesus referred to this account of what was to take place and what was uh, the Scriptures talk about prophetically regarding our Savior being lifted up. We notice here that the people came to realize they had a need. They needed an answer for says, we have sinned. We have sinned against God. We have spoken against the Lord, even it says. That's the way they describe their sin. We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that we take away the serpents from us. You know, in a sense, we could say, well, their request, if you just get all the serpents out of the way, everything would be fixed, wouldn't it? And yet, it seems like God almost made it more complicated for him than that. When he instructed Moses to make this serpent on a pole and require them to look upon it to be healed. And in a very real way, in a sense, that's what you and I are called to this morning as we consider our needs and give counsel of our life and experience and walk with the Lord. You know, we could think, well, wouldn't it be nice if, if all of our carnal nature were removed? Wouldn't that be glorious? The time will come for faithful. But there's a sense in a parallel here that our carnal nature is still there potentially with us if we allow it to, to flourish. But we are called to look upon Him. 
to look upon our Savior and to depend on the provision in Christ. Now, what, what happens when we look upon our need and what is the response? I want to look at 2 Kings, just one example here of... Runs parallel to some other scriptures perhaps, but 2 Kings chapter 18... This account of Hezekiah. Notice the reference here to that brazen serpent. It says, He removed the high places and break the images and cut down the groves and break in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. For unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it, and he called it Nehushtan. That which was a symbol of something that God had special purpose in in meeting the needs of the children of Israel at that point had come to be to, to be a part of the form of idolatry. And here they were worshiping it. Um, so as we think about that, we think about our lives and looking unto Him, the author and finisher of our faith. What is it that you and I need to be cognizant of, need to be aware of in an ongoing way that God wants us to lay aside, to remove the high places, to break down images of things that work against our relationship with God? I didn't make a direct translation here, but we have removing the high places, breaking down the images, cutting down the groves, breaking pieces, doing away with those things that are idols, those things that are a distraction, those things that consume what we should be offering at the altar of God versus the incense unto the flesh or the world, whatever illustration you want to use. That's a question I can ask myself, and you can ask yourself, what about me? In my world, what am I taking down? We have that illustration from Numbers 21 of the fiery serpent there. In Zechariah chapter 12, perhaps I won't take the time to turn there, but I want to to just remind you that there is a scripture there in verse 10 of chapter 12 where it talks about prophetically the lifting up of our Savior. And it says that there will be those who look upon Him. Now the title this morning is focused more around the fact of the thought of looking unto Him. But I want to ask you the question... And I want to show you how that, was, that prophecy was fulfilled in Matthew chapter 27. If you care to turn there. In the fulfilling of that prophecy, 
there was a variation of responses. And as we look upon him, as we look unto Jesus, the author and finisher for finisher of our faith, I trust our response will be adequate according to a proper response uh, in that regard. We have the account of the crucifixion listed here in verse 32 and following. And I'll read these verses at this time. And as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross. And when they were come unto a place called Golgotha, that is to say, a place of the skull, they gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall. And when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. And note verse 36, And setting down, they watched him there. They watched him there. And set up over his head his accusation written, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then were there two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and another on the left. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself if thou be the Son of God. Come down from the cross. Likewise, also the chief priest, mocking him with the scribes and elders, said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be king of Israel, let him come down. Now come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. I'll stop at that point there. But I want to go back and, and dwell on verse 36 where it says, And setting down, they watched him there. You and I are blessed in a very real way of having an understanding of what it means to look upon Jesus. To know who He is, the purposes of His life and ministry, of His suffering and death. And as we seek to remember that and look forward to commemorating the Lord's Supper together, that we can do it in a proper way and not uh, unprepared, bringing damnation unto ourselves. And so it's a sense of, of seriousness that we consider these things, but note the possibility. And setting down, they watched him there. What did they watch? What was their perspective? Were they believers? Were they... Mockers, yes. We see that in the verses there following, that they, they were goading him in a sense. You know, you say who you are, prove it to us. As you and I watched the account in our minds this morning, what is in my heart? What is in your heart? I trust that we are ones who find grace in God's sight through the Lord Jesus Christ today to humbly acknowledge our need of Him in all of life. And the prayers and the exhortation of our brothers and sisters as we walk day by day.
And I wanted to leave you with the question this morning as we look upon him, as we watch him there, how does it manifest in my life? You understand what I'm saying? How does that bear itself out in my life and walk, in your life and walk? And as the young man there in the waiting room wanted to know, but he didn't like all he was told in that class he heard about his generation, may we be faithful and surrender to the Spirit's leading as we understand who we are, the needs we have, and rejoice in the provisions God has given to us this morning. Knowing that it is in an ongoing way. You know, this morning I didn't allude to time, but the victories of yesteryear are not the victories of today. Raymond here is one of the older. I'm not sure we have blessed with a guest here this morning that Reba's cousin, I believe. Uh, by the way, I failed to mention that, that uh, it's good to have you here, Wanda. We learned to know her back in Puerto Rico years ago, I guess soon after we were there, and uh, haven't seen her very often. But uh, for each of us, our pilgrimage here will have so much to do with what we see when we look upon Him raised up on the cross of Calvary. I think we'll kneel to pray at this time.